Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. Let's put our hands together this morning for all those joining us through the World Wide Web. All over the world, all over the world, the World Wide Web. It's an amazing place, right? Be careful out there. This month, we've been in a series called Discovering Activation Church or Discover Activation Church. We've been talking about our core values, our beliefs. In week one, Pastor Arm walked us through honoring Christian tradition, those traditions that have biblical importance. We're not scared of old words like repentance and integrating new enthusiasm, new fire, and new strategies for the gospel mission. In week two, he talked about nothing is impossible to those who walk in unity and in faith. And this week, we're going to be talking about activating our life in Christ, because that's our motto. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ. Who is Christ, and why should we activate our lives in him? What do we mean when we say that? Activation Church is all about Jesus, in case you didn't know. We're all about worshiping Jesus. We're all about becoming more like Jesus. We strive to live like Jesus for Jesus by the power of his spirit. We believe that every person, every nation, every tribe, and every language mentioned in Revelation 7 has purpose and destiny within the kingdom of God. And this purpose is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and to walk out his good works that he's prepared for us. It is in this purpose of sanctification that we find our destiny in being like Christ. Sanctification is a word that people may or may not understand or may not like because it sounds like an old word. But sanctification is derived from the word sanctus, which means holy. And Jesus is holy. And he wants us to be holy. And that's why he sends his Holy Spirit to make us in his image, to become holy. (laughs) Holy is another word that we're not scared to say here at Activation Church. So we're here so that people can activate their life in Christ. We are here so that people like me and like you can activate or kickstart your life in Christ and be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into Jesus' image. It's fairly simple when you just say the words. Yes, God created us in his image, male and female. He created them on that glorious sixth day of creation in Genesis 1, 27. But when we turn our backs on God, when I say we, I mean mankind, when they turned their backs on God and gave in to temptation and deception, sin entered into creation and that image was defaced yet not destroyed. In Genesis 2:17, God tells Adam and Eve that if you disobey and you sin, you shall surely die. And this is definitely speaking about a physical death, but it's also speaking about a spiritual death, separation from the Father. Because they had perfect relationship with the Father. They walked and talked with the Father in the garden. Yet that has been cut off and severed through deception, temptation, and sin. 
So the life and death of Jesus Christ restores that image and resurrects our souls from death. From the beginning, God had a plan to defeat sin and death through his son, Jesus Christ. We're going to turn, if you can, but we have it on the screens for you, to Genesis 3.15. This is God speaking to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity or hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he, being Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, 4,000 years before the birth of Jesus, God the Father is already giving us prophecy. This is to be known as the first gospel. If we skip down to Genesis 3.21, we see it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. You see, right off the bat, God is showing them the consequences of their actions, the consequence of sin. By sacrificing an animal, this is the shedding of blood, to cover their nakedness and their shame and their sin. You see, this is what we call a type or a shadow. It's a precursor of what Jesus would be doing in the future for all of mankind. It's a prophetic symbol, a foreshadowing of what is to come. You see, roughly one-fourth of the Bible was prophetic at the time it was written. And most of these prophecies speak of Jesus becoming the, coming into human history and being the Messiah. So, Who is this Jesus that I want you to activate your life in? Who is this Christ? Who is this anointed one? The name Jesus is derived from the Old Testament name Joshua or Yeshua, which means Yahweh, God is salvation. This title, Christ, means chosen one or anointed by God to be the Messiah, to be the deliverer for God's people. You see, no one is more hated and more loved than Jesus. No one. See, we tend to think of Jesus as ruling and reigning over the Bible Belt. There's roughly about 2.5 billion Christians in the world that worship him as God. So Jesus is one of the most powerful, most polarizing, most influential people who has ever lived. I mean, our time is divided by his birth. Jesus is the most powerful and polarizing and influential person in the world. His image appears in pop culture throughout all time. All time. All of human history. I brought a few with me here to show you. This is Rembrandt. He painted what he calls the head of Jesus. Now let me explain something to you. These photos are not of the real Jesus. It's funny how painters and sculptors uh, resemble the image of Jesus that they're painting. (laughs) I can pretty much guarantee you Rembrandt probably looked just like that. (laughs) So these paintings are not exhaustive, obviously. This is their version of Jesus. Uh, We also have Da Vinci's Last Supper, which I found hilarious because if you look at this photo, I mean, which one's Judas? And when Jesus says someone here is going to dip the cup, I mean, does he even hear it? He's way too far away. 
I mean, he's down here going, is he talking about me? I don't know. Is he talking about me? Who's he talking about? So you got, you got Da Vinci's Last Supper. Then we have Raphael who painted the Transfiguration. <laughs> this is great. That's what it looked like in their mind, I guess. So we also have sculptures. Have sculptures all over the world. I, I couldn't even name them all. There's so many. But we have sculptures. Here's one called Christ the Redeemer, Rio de Janeiro. That's pretty impressive. Rio de Janeiro. That's on a really high mountain. That's pretty cool looking, man. Somebody had their drone out that day, I guess. <clears throat> we have also have uh, Cristo della Minerva. This is uh, Michelangelo. This is a sculpture. Obviously, I didn't want to show you the torso because Michelangelo. <laughs> Can't say anything about it. I don't know about him. And then we have my personal favorite. This one's called Salvatore Mundi, which is uh, actually translates to Savior of the World. This is Jean Lorenzo Bernini. I mean, Jesus probably didn't look anything like this, but it is a pretty incredible sculpture. Uh, if you can see it from all different angles, it's pretty impressive. But there's also been hundreds of films made about Jesus, which is crazy. Hundreds of films, including the massive film, The Passion of the Christ. More songs have been written to Jesus and about Jesus than any other person on the planet. More songs have ever been written about Jesus and the depiction of his face and his words have been printed on t-shirts and bumper stickers and coffee mugs. <laughs> We've reduced it to coffee mugs. It's all right, though. It's a reminder. And so none of these things even come close to revealing the glory of Christ. None of these things come close to revealing the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ is best experienced and best encountered through his Holy Spirit and through his word. What has he said about himself? And that's what we're going to look at. If you want to go ahead, you can turn to Colossians 1.15. We're going to talk about the preeminence, the supremacy, the glory of Christ. And I want you to listen very closely to how Paul carefully composes this almost poetic paragraph about Jesus. And I want you to look and see how the word all is the thread that binds all these verses together. We'll start in verse 15. Paul writes, he says, He is the invisible God, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in, all, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. And see, Paul repeats this theme of all. In Colossians 3.11, he says, Christ is all in all. It's one of those easy, simple sentences that can literally make your mind explode. You know what I'm saying? You're like, this, there's only like six words in this sentence and it hurts my brain to think about. Christ is all and in all. 
See, within these six verses, we see four spectacular truths about our Lord Jesus. The first truth we find in this scripture is that Jesus is God. He says he is the image of the invisible God. Another sentence that makes your mind go... He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus himself taught that he was God. Matter of fact, Jesus was crucified because he taught he was God. I'm about to show you where he does this and pretty much every single sentence that Jesus says, directly after it, they try to pick up stones and stone him. He says in John 14, 9, he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In John 8, 58, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if you're a Jewish priest and you're hearing that, you're screaming blasphemy. And for some reason, they always felt like they needed to tear their clothes off. Don't get that, but sure. I mean, if someone was to come up to you and tell you something and they lied to you, would you be like immediately? (laughs) (laughs) Truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I am. I was there at the burning bush. I am. Which is another, I mean, that's two words. And your mind goes, In Mark 14, 61 through 64, he's brought before the high priest and it says that he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Again, that title, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see, now, dude, this sentence right here, if you're anybody of any, I mean, if your brain work, is working right now and your ears are hearing, this sentence right here is the great comeback. Jesus had always had the best comebacks. Yeah. I'm sure he didn't revel in it like I do, but it's great. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming through the clouds of heaven. I mean, dude, if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, wow, where did that come from? But these guys are like, nope, we're going to kill you. In John 10:30, he says, I and the Father are one. In John 14, 6, Jesus says to him, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus was sinless. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus forgave sin. Jesus cast out demons. He confound the wise. He laid down his own life and rose it back up again. And he taught that he was the only way to the Father. And Jesus is asking us today, he's asking us the same question that he asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Because if this determines whether you can activate your life in Christ or not, who do you say that I am? Not only does it determine whether you can activate your life in Christ, it also determines your eternity. How do we see Jesus? How do we worship Jesus? How do we put him at the supreme part of our life, in the supreme areas of our soul. How do we see Jesus? Because if we see Jesus the way that Jesus sees Jesus and the way that the Father sees Jesus, then we won't be able to contain our worship. We won't be able to contain our praise. 
So that's the first truth we see is that Jesus is God in Colossians. The second thing we see is that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. You see, he says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, this is not saying that Jesus is created or has a beginning, but it is saying that he is the first in line to the inheritance, the rights, and the privileges of the firstborn. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 puts it this way. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son. And he says, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The writer of Hebrew is saying the same thing that Paul is saying in Colossians. So, in him, all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. Is, this, is he starting to look bigger to you? Is he starting to look glorious to you? Because this is the goal. He is before all things. John 1.1 puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God incarnate. God in flesh. In all things, he holds all things together. Hebrews 1.3 puts it this way, and I like this a lot. He says, he is, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen, he knows all things. He controls all things. He hears all things. He sees all things. He feels all things things and he created all things and he upholds all things this sounds like a person that is worthy of honor and glory and praise in Matthew 6 he clothes the grass and he adorns the flowers with beauty he numbers the hairs on your head and not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from him in Proverbs 16 the lot, the die is cast, and it's every decision is from the Lord. I didn't stutter. That is what the Bible says. The die is cast. The lot is cast, and it's every decision is from the Lord. I'd say he's in control. There's not anything in this world or in your soul or in your mind or in your life that does not relate to Jesus Christ as Lord of creation. I mean, a simple scientific rule is that matter cannot be destroyed. Why? Because it can't be created. Because he created it. You can't destroy something you didn't create. I think we might be a little too uh, full of ourselves as a human race. The third, the third truth that we see in Colossians in this small, dense, poetic paragraph that Paul writes is that Jesus is our only salvation. Jesus is the agent of salvation. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church, that's us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, Jesus rules and reigns everywhere, every time. Amen. Everywhere, at every time. Amen. 
In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Those are bold claims. And as the head of the church, his body, he has redeemed people for which the new world is designed. Think about that. By the power of his blood, he has redeemed people for the new world. Because you can't step into the new world until you're redeemed. That's pretty powerful. The first world that was created was created for his entrance. And the second world is redeemed for us by his blood. It is through his precious and powerful blood that was shed on the cross that all things in heaven and on earth will be reconciled. You see, Jesus, he took on the physical pain and defeated it. He took on the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He took on that heartbreaking moment when Jesus turned, when the God the Father turned his face away from Jesus because he took on my sin. And Jesus took it all on and rose again as the Prince of Peace. The third, I mean the fourth and final truth that we see is that Jesus is our final satisfaction. Not only is Jesus God in flesh, Lord of creation, and our only salvation, he is the source and the focus of our soul's final destination, our soul's final satisfaction. We see this in two phrases in Colossians. The first phrase is this, reconcile to himself. You see this, this, the, the meaning of this reconciliation, this reconciling, is to remove a barrier between two people or two relationships. When you reconcile a relationship, you remove the barrier, the problem that was there. And Jesus reconciles us unto himself. And he doesn't do that so that we can be fully satisfied in creation. He doesn't do that so that we can be fully satisfied in each other. He does that so that we can be fully satisfied in him. That is the final focus of this reconciliation. And the second thing that he says in the scripture is that all the fullness of God dwelled in him. All the fullness. This is in verse 19. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Which has made God supremely happy and infinitely joyful. You have to understand the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost have existed forever with no beginning in perfect harmony. And now all the fullness of God is in Jesus for which we have access to. Now we have full access to that same type of relationship. All the fullness of God is in Jesus, not just for the sake of our effective redemption, but also for our eternal satisfaction in him. There is no delight, there is no goodness, there is no mercy in God that we have to bypass Christ to get to. We have full access to all the joy and all of God in Jesus. It's all there for us. Psalms 1611 puts it this way. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there is pleasures forevermore. Who sits at the right hand of the Father? Jesus. He's our final satisfaction. Apart from him there is 
no eternal lasting satisfaction. He is the God-man. He is the Word made flesh. He is God incarnate. So what has he done for us? Why should we activate our life in him? What has he done? Well, if you're hungry, he's the bread of life. If you're thirsty, he'll bring up a spring in you. You'll never thirst again. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He adopts the orphan. He calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He made children of wrath, children of peace. He condemned condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. He bought righteousness for the unrighteous. He gave faith to the faithless. He justified the guilty. He glorified the unglorifiable. He proclaimed good news to the poor. He proclaimed liberty to the captive. He gave sight to the blind. He freed the enslaved. His name is Jesus. It's the name above all names. He's the firstborn of many, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and he rules and reigns over everything at all times. So if we are to activate our lives in Christ, what does this mean? It means that we fall so in love with Jesus and what he has done for us and who he truly is that his spirit will just overtake us in every aspect of our lives. And his purpose will be done in our lives. And then the people that live and we interact with, through his spirit, he can live and reign in their lives as well. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Activate your life in Christ. Finding your every need met in Jesus. Living in adoration of everything that Jesus has given us. Everything he's done for us. This is the only path to our heart's satisfaction. No relationship can do this other than a relationship with Jesus. No car, no house, no amount of money can satisfy you. It's only a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only in activating your life with Christ that you can be satisfied the way that we all know we need satisfaction. The way we see and savor and love Jesus will affect our church, our relationships, our marriage, our children, our parents, our workplace, our attitude, our worship, our praise. He is the fullest and deepest revelation of God and he is the invisible image of God and he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God the Father's nature and he is our satisfaction and everything that we need is in him. Without him, all areas of our life will suffer. He deserves honor and glory and praise forever and ever. If he would, let's stand together. Let's pray for those watching online. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, as eager servants, ready and willing to learn from you. And those watching by internet, Lord, I ask that you would visit with them right now, wherever they are. They would feel your spirit and the words that have been spoken today. 
Lord, that you would soften their hearts and and sharpen their minds to see you for who you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen.